All right, we are in Revelation chapter 3. We're on the fifth church. As uh, those of you who have been around, you know that we've been working through the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, we are in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, verses 1 through 6 today. We're going to look at the church of Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have the name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I am not for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember that you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, I pray as we look into your word this morning that your spirit would speak clearly to each of us. Through me, Father, that I would just make plain your message this morning. In whatever way you want to work in us, whether it is to just comfort us or encourage us or even just bring things to light that we need to address in our lives, I pray, Father, that um, we would be open to however you desire to move in this place and in our hearts today. Our ultimate prayer, Father, is that we hear from you and that we leave here different than when we came in. For your glory, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, Sardis is the fifth church, and um, if if there was a map up here on the wall, and we started off in Ephesus, and it goes up to like, you know, Smyrna and Pergamum and and, uh, Thyatira over here, and then it starts its way down to Sardis. Um, Sardis was kind of in a in a valley, but there were mountains all around, and there was there was the city itself was fortified up on this up on this hill, and it was incredibly protected. I mean, you had to there was one way kind of in and out, and the rest of it was protected by these steep cliffs. They were a well-known city in that time, not only um, politically and geographically and all that. They the trade went through there. Uh, actually, one of the things that is interesting is. They had a gold rush before then, before this writing, I believe. They had a gold rush there. And the story goes back to even, you know, you've heard of King Midas and the Midas touch and all that kind of stuff. There's actually a reference in that whole mythology about Sardis and how the river that runs through Sardis, Midas was supposed to go in order to get rid of this this curse that he found out was to be the golden touch was supposed to go bathe in this river and that the, the uh, gold would leave his body and this ability and, and the sands in the river would turn to gold. And f- interestingly, there was, you know, they, there was gold in this river. 
So the population in this place, as you can imagine, just went through the roof. They were famous for that, but they were also known for the ability to separate gold and silver. And so their coins, the coins that they would mint around Sardis and in this region right here became more valuable because they were more reliable. They could kind of determine the value of these things. And so it was, you know, they were advanced. There was a lot of things going on here. And, um, and, that, and, and, and there were... Uh, th- there were people that were always trying to come up against them. If you, we, we'll look back at a couple of stories here, but in the, just armies after armies were coming up against them, but only a handful were successful, and we'll get to those here in a little bit. They're interesting, have something to do with, I believe, with one of the references here in the story. But Sardis was also, as far as the church is concerned, Sardis was um, very well known, supposedly, to the other churches. You know, it wasn't like Thyatira and Pergamum and others were that well known. If you look back in some of the writings, not necessarily here in the scriptures, you don't see it. But if you look back in historical writings around that time, you see references to things that Sardis is doing. But here, Jesus, when he's talking through John to the church in Sardis, he's bringing up some things that just doesn't sound. I mean, this is like one of the most condemning kind of references to the of all the seven churches. And he starts off just by saying... To the messenger of the church in Sardis, I write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. We've, we talked about this in the past when in chapter 1, where the seven spirits of God was mostly in reference to the, just the sevenfold ministry of the spirit or the fullness of the spirit working. And we saw that in chapter 1. The seven stars, we saw that as being divine, uh, in control of divine uh, nature of God and all uh, creation and everything around it. That uh, the, if you'll remember, I talked about how there was the the emperor minted a coin and had his had his son sitting on the earth on this coin, and there were seven stars around him indicating that this guy was the se- the son of God. His son, when he called himself the, or he called this little boy the son of God on this coin, and the seven stars were his divine nature. And here he's. Uh, John is just referencing something that they would know back then about uh, the seven stars. You can see that in chapter 1 if you want to go back and, and look. But he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, when I look at this, some translations might actually have this more, more rightly translated reputation. Because there's really nothing about the name Sardis that stands out when you look at this name. There's really, as a matter of fact, when I looked it up, there were like three or four different definitions. But they were more like descriptions more than definitions of this geographically or what they were known for or different things like that. And so there's really nothing there. This is... This is about, you know, I, I know your deeds, that you have a reputation that you are alive. They had a facade that they were alive. As a matter of fact, the word that they says alive here is more about the inner being of being alive, not what goes on on the outside here. It's talking about that inner part that's alive. It's the example that I use many times is where you break a limb off of a tree and you stand here in front of it and you look at it and you think, yeah, it looks just like this tree right here that's rooted and getting nutrients and all this stuff. It looks just like that since I've just broke it off. But you give it a little time and it's not going to look like that anymore, right? It's going to start withering and things like that. Well, that's the idea here is that you look like you're alive. You have a reputation as if you are alive, that you've got good things going on, or that, but you are actually dead. That's not a good thing to hear. No one wants to hear that your job is dead. 
No one wants to hear anything about whether it's relationships, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's your car broke down. Hey, man, I'm sorry, your car is dead. You, no one wants to hear that. And so here when he says, you, you have this reputation, but you are dead. In verse 2, he says, wake up. He's telling them to wake up. And this is actually, again, more rightly translated more along the lines of be a watchful, be on the alert, pay attention. But wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. One of the things I want us to see here is, is that there is a chance for this church to turn it around. Jesus has not given up on this church. They are in a bad place. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're actually dead. But here he says, wake up, be alert, be on the watch, pay attention. It's more of an intentional thing than a, pro, a, a restful kind of reactive thing. It's you've got to turn it around because I have not, Jesus is basically saying, I've not given up on you yet. It's not hopeless. There's still a chance that things can be turned around. There's still a chance that you can actually come back to life. There is that chance to do that. Jesus said when he was back in Matthew, when he was talking to the disciples, they were making their way through uh, Caesarea Philippi, and he asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they started telling him all these things. Well, he, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus, as he was teaching them right there, he just said, on that fact, I will build my church. On that fact, the fact that he said, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. On that fact, I am going to build my church. In other words, the church is built on Jesus, right? The church is built on the focus. I've said this many times. We get caught up in the peripheral things going on around us, whether it's in life or even in ministry. We can get caught up on peripheral things, and we can kind of forget the fact that the, the more we focus on whether it's a program or different things like that, we just, we just lose sight of Jesus. We don't spend time with him daily. We don't want to walk with him daily. We don't want to let him speak into our lives because we know if we do, man, I might have to give up something. I might have to stop doing something. I might have to begin doing something. We don't want to, we don't want to be that close. But this church is built on Jesus. And, 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 and he says, later on he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, what, does the, what, what does hell and the demons and all that want us to be as Christians? They've lost us, right? They, they, have, they can't, as far as eternity goes, we are set. All they want us to do is sit back and relax. And listen, when the enemy gets us to sit back and relax and just say, well, I'm saved, I'm good. He's got us right where he wants us because he's lost us. But as long as we don't be about what Jesus wants us to be about, And he's perfectly content with us just kind of sitting back. He's, 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 he's the enemy. That's, that's where the enemy starts killing the church. Here, the church has this facade, has this reputation all around about being alive. But Jesus is saying, you are dead. Wake up. In Revelation, we saw back in Revelation chapter 1 where he was talking to the church in Ephesus. He warned them saying, 
Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first or else I am coming to you and remove and will remove your lampstand. The idea there is the lampstand is referenced in chapter 1. The lampstand there is a reference to the church. Sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Jesus is going to close your church down. If you're not careful, if you don't, if you, if you don't re- remember from where you have fallen, he's telling the Ephesians, if you don't remember from where you have fallen and you don't return to those things and you don't repent of those things, I'm going to shut it down. Jesus doesn't want to, but if it's not on his name, if the church is not built on his name, he's not going to let his reputation be sold. He will lop it off. He will cut it from the roots and just let it die. I believe Jesus does do that. That when a church is misrepresenting him, he will let that church die. Because the source, the strength, everything about a church, the body of Christ, everything about it comes from Jesus. It does not come from anything else. And if we are not connected, if we are not grafted into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, if we are not a part of that and that is what we are as a church, if Redeemer, if we as a body of Christ here in Redeemer are not firstly wholly committed to that and that alone, we are just a social club gathering on Sunday mornings wasting time. And so here he's, he's talking to, and listen, I'm not, don't hear me say that, thinking we're like Sardis. I don't believe that. I'm just saying, let's be careful because, listen, we are just a handful of decisions away from being like any of these seven churches. We could easily find ourselves in one of these or two of these or three of these places as Jesus is talking to these churches For those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We need to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us through His Word. And here He's talking about, I have found your deeds incomplete in the sight of God. So remember, next verse, so remember what you have received and heard. Remember what you have seen, received and heard. I believe this is a reference to to, to, to the, the, the presence of God and the Word of God. These are, those are the really, the, if you think about it, the, what are the authorities that we have in Christ? What are the authorities? The two, there are two main authorities that we have as Christians. We don't get to come up with answers ourselves. We don't get to make this stuff up. We don't, there are two places where we get our authority from, and that is the person of Christ and the Word of God. Okay, The presence of God and the Word of God. Those two things right there, the presence of God, Old Testament, through the New Testament, with God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, however, we have the Holy Spirit with us that helps us interpret the Word of God. Here he's talking about what you have received, what you have heard, keep it. Keep it. Do not, do not ignore it. Do not push it to the side. Do not make it secondary. Keep it and repent. If those things are not prominent, if those things are not there in the forefront, if those things are not important, then repent and remember what you have received and heard. Therefore, if you do not wake up, if you are not paying attention, if you are not watchful, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come. Back in some of the other references or some of the other churches he's talking to, remember he says something like, uh, if you do either do this or else, 
You remember those couple of times he said that? This is kind of like an or else. If you do not remember these things, but if you do not, I am about to come to you like a thief. He's not talking about coming in a good way. I believe what he's doing here is he's actually referencing something that the Sardis, the people of Sardis, are so familiar with because they've experienced a couple of things that happened in their past. It's a part of their history. They've experienced it, and they do know what I, I do believe that they're remembering. Basically, around 500 B.C. or something, the Persians were coming up against them. They were around the city of Sardis. They were trying to figure out how to defeat them, and they just could not get to the city. The walls were strong and the cliffs were you know, pretty straight up and all this. But one day there was a Persian soldier, saw a Sardisian soldier drop his helmet off the cliff. And he, they, he watched him come down. There was a trail that he could see him coming down from the cliff. There was a trail that he came down. It was a secret trail. No one knew it was there from the outside. It was just something the military knew about. And he came down there, and later on in a couple of nights, as he went back and he reported to his, his commander, and they, saw, they found this trail and all that, they actually went up that trail. The army, the Persian army, went up that trail, found the gates in that part of the city, not even watched. Because they thought, who's going to come back here and do anything? Who's going to come at us from this side? Everybody was focused on the place that most, most of the armies came, the main gate and out over the, over the horizon over there. But they didn't come up through the cliffs and all that. But the, and the Persian armies came in and conquered them. Interestingly, two or three hundred years later, the Greeks did the exact same thing. You don't think that's like cemented into their brain and their history lessons now? You don't think that's something that, you know, we, that they, they didn't learn from then? I believe that here Jesus is telling them, Man, you guys, if, re remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, if you are not paying attention, I'm going to come at you like a thief in the night. I'm going to come at you, church, like a thief in the night. You don't know when it's going to come if you're, if you're not paying attention, if you're not aware. But if you do wake up, I don't have to come like a thief in the night. I don't have to come in here and... Wipe you, just wipe this church off the mat. I don't have to come in here and just sever all spiritual nutrients into this church. I don't have to come in here and put a stop to all of this stuff that's going on in the church. I don't have to do that. If you will wake up and pay attention, if you will be attentive to what's going around, if you will be intentional about watching what is going on. Here, I believe what he's saying, he says, you know, when he's talking about waking up, he's, he's not talking about looking out there and looking for death. He's talking about looking out there, be attentive, look, look, be watchful for Christ. Look for him, seek him, pursue him. That is the source of life and strength and, 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 and purpose and everything that a Christian needs to make it in life. We can be just like the world and go for paychecks, and food on the table and clothes on the back. We can be just like that and let that be our goal and everything. But man, we're going to miss out on so much. We are going to miss out on, on so much that, 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 that God from the back in the beginning is, and, and through Christ and, and, and all throughout the early church and up to, up to us now, there is a purpose for each one of us. There is a purpose for this church. There is a purpose and we need to embrace that. We don't need to fear that. And, 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 and for, those, for those who don't like, you, you've heard all of us up here preaching about God calling us and God, the things that God wants us to do, the, the works that he has planned for the church and, and all of these things. And, and they can be at times intimidating. 
But if it is something that Christ has called us to do, then he's going to give us the ability and the power and the, 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 uh, the, the, everything that we need to make it happen. So whatever might be out there that we think, man, I don't know. I just, man, it's, it, it makes me a little nervous. makes me a little concerned. I'm a little bit... A little afraid. If, 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 if you can see it in God's word, if you can sense it in God's presence, then it's something worthy to pursue. It is something more worthy than life itself. And here he's just, be watchful. Be on the alert. But verse 4 says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. There's actually a handful of people in Sardis who who seem to be pleasing to God, who seem to be doing the right things here. And, and it's interesting that if we look back in the other churches, especially in Thyatira and Pergamum, we see that he is talking to a church where the, the church seems to be doing good, but they're allowing a handful of things to go on in the church that they need to address. All right? So it's like there's a lot of people, they're okay, but there's some people that they need to address. Here it's, there's a lot of people who are just not right with God. There's a handful there. There's a remnant there. There there are some there who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Soiled garments is just a a more or less a reference of a sinful flesh and and, and the participating when we're wearing. It's kind of like, you know, when you used to get up. I remember as a kid and, you know, we used to... We didn't go to church when I was a child or anything, but there were times when we had to get dressed up for stuff. And you know what it's like when you start dressing up a child and, and you mess up and you're trying to get yourself dressed, you lose sight of where your child is. And what's the, typically what does a child end up doing? I don't know about your children or anything, but I know what I did. I was outside playing. I don't care if it was raining. I don't care if it was muddy. I don't care what it was. I'd be outside doing something. I'd be dressed up and I'd be, you know, real nice and all that kind of stuff. And then mom would say, David, where are you? David, where are you? And I'd come walking in the house and my garments are soiled. I was not obedient to my mom. I was not pleasing. That was not pleasing to my mom. There was a lot. And in and, and, and the same way here, he's just saying, you know, as far as Christians go, we have this white garment. It is a garment of purity. It is a garment of being, uh, it, it, is, it is a reflection of being the, the bride of Christ. The, the body of Christ is the bride of Christ, wearing white of purity and, and belonging to him and all that. But when we walk out of what, what it is that Jesus wants us, what God wants us to do, and we get involved in other things, then we begin soiling our garments. We begin soiling participating in things in the flesh that, that are not something that Christ wants us to participate in. And it could be, Sardis was not unlike the other churches where there was pagan worship going on and where there was, uh, you know, the, the, the Christians here, as we found out in the past, the, the synagogue, they, the Jews were, 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 were not, that did not have to go to the synagogue of uh, the emperor there and burn incense and say Caesar is Lord. They were exempt from that. And it used to be that Christians were just a part of the Jewish, you know, they were a sect of the Jewish religion and they, were met, they met in the synagogues and all that. But in some of these churches, they decided, you know what, you will have no part of us. If you're going to sit there and say that Jesus is the Lord and Jesus is the only way, they started separating from that. And all of a sudden, you had these Christians out here, they were on their own. They were not recognized or anything like that. And so they had to, they were forced to 
go and burn incense and pay homage and say Caesar is Lord. We talked about that in a couple of the other churches. Same thing going on here. And he's just saying that you guys are putting on a good front about doing all these things, but man, literally, you are dead. Like the other places, there's persecution going on because you refuse to do that. There's, there's, there's hard times that you're experiencing because you refuse to do that. Here, these folks are participating in that thinking it's okay. You know, we're just going to do it. We don't believe this stuff. We don't have anything to do with this. We're just going to go ahead and burn some incense here, Caesar's Lord, and we'll come back next year and do it again just so I won't lose my job or just so I won't lose place in society or, or, or whatever it might be. But here, Sardis, they, they had soiled their garments. They had participated in these things. And he says, They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. He who overcomes will be clothed in what we just talked about that and what that meant. Just turn over to Revelation chapter 7 real quick. Revelation chapter 7, look at verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The saints there from every tribe and every nation and from all over the world, from all, all, over, all over time, are clothed in white before the throne. They are made pure in the presence of God. So here he's, he's saying, he who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. And he says, I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. That part where he says, I will not erase his name from the book of life, I want us to just really just focus in on that. This is not suggesting that because he says, I will not erase your name, that he will be erasing names. That's, that's, that's not going to happen. All right? Just because he said, I will not erase your name, doesn't mean that in general. Once we are, the book of life is read, all those who are going to be in Christ, all those who are, your, your name is written in the book of life. And those things are secure. If we just look back into where Jesus, in his own words, in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you look at what Paul writes in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Philippians 1, 6, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, I am confident of this very thing that he who started a good work in you, he who started a good work in you will complete it in Christ Jesus. There is no way that if we are truly found faithful in Christ, if we have truly surrendered to Christ. Now, there are going to be those 
who are going to be a little confused at the end. There's going to be some who, I thought I was a Christian. I thought I, thought I did all the, uh, the right things, but they never fully submitted themselves to God. They never became a fully following Christian. The scriptures talk about in 1 John, it says uh, that those who fall away or, or, or even walk away, they never were of Those who went away from us never were of us is what it says in 1 John. And so the scriptures here are pretty clear all throughout that if your name is in the book of life, if you are a follower of Christ, if, you are, if, 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 if your name is there, it cannot be removed. I believe what this is saying here is there was a practice in Sardis and other communities at that time that when you died, they removed your name from the citizenship. Now, that's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's not necessarily different than most places, but here they would even, if you were not... A very good person. If you didn't have a very good reputation, if you didn't represent Sardis well, they removed your name from the rolls. And so, in, th- there was a sense that there, this uh, the, the church was because they were participating in all the things from Sardis and all that that they were going to be removed. And he was just saying, "I'm not going to remove those who overcome. Those who overcome are going to be those ones who are faithful from the beginning to the end." There are going to be some, listen, when I was 12, I've told this story before, when I was 12 years old, I became a Christian, at least I thought I did. I prayed a prayer, I was in a church, I walked forward in vacation Bible school, I did all the things that people told me I was supposed to do to be a Christian, but over those next 10 years, I thought I was a Christian, but I can honestly tell you I was not a follower of Christ. I, you know, it wasn't even that I didn't go to church, it wasn't even that I didn't read my Bible, it wasn't even that... Uh, you know, I prayed or anything. I didn't do all of the, any of those things. But it was just that I was without Christ. I was not following Christ. I was following some religion. I was following some, some rules. I was following those things. I wasn't following Christ. And so there are going to be people who are going to be confused at this. There's going to be people who are going to be even angry and upset at this. But our names are not going to be removed from the book of life. And here he says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. If you remember back in Pergamum, he says that those who overcome, he'll give them a white stone with their name on it. And that white stone was a reference. It's like a marble stone and your name was on it. That's how you got invited to the big party. If, if, you, if there was a party in your name or if there was a party and you were invited to it or something like that, you received and you were not going to get into this party without this. This was like an invitation. You did not get into this celebration without that. And I can see that this, he says, and I'm going to announce your name to God. I, I, I can just see it as we, as we enter into the party. I believe this is a reference to as we enter into this celebration, as we enter into the kingdom of God, that we are going to be presented as if we had just given him our white stone. Here is David Hutton or whatever name they're going to give me or whatever. And so I'm going to be able to enter that and my name is going to be announced. And your name, as you are faithful followers of Christ your name will be announced as well. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen, I, I, I've said this before. I was, I was actually, um, I'm not much of a baseball fan. I don't, and I know I'm in the minority here. Uh, I've, I'm just never, just been into it. But th- this time of year is when I start watching baseball, but it's only the Little League World Series. It's only the little guys. I like watching those little guys play. 
Um, I don't know what it is about it. I just, I'm just drawn to watching these kids out there just giving their best and the emotion of it and, the, and all the drama and everything. I, I don't know. I, just, I can sit there for hours watching it. You can ask Shannon. I have. All day Saturday or during the regions as they're playing for it. I've watched Little League World Series. I don't watch baseball at all until Little League World Series comes around. And what I enjoy the most about it is when the coach walks out to the, the field and he gets all the players around them. And I believe this is kind of, a, when I was watching it this time, I thought, you know what? That's kind of what, what Jesus did here when he's writing, having John write these letters to the, he's got specific instructions for each individual church, right? Specific things he's addressing, but they're all listening in on this. Because as this letter was written, someone was going from one church reading the letter. And when he was in Ephesus, he was reading what was going on in Thyatira and Philadelphia and Laodicea and he was reading to them what was going on there, what Jesus was saying to them. In the same way when that coach was there and he's saying, you know, he's talking to his pitcher and he's saying, listen, I don't know why you're trying to be real cute and all with that breaking ball, but you've got that heater is working. If you just keep that, keep that fastball in there and keep it low, you're doing well. Yeah, they're hitting the ball, but they're hitting it to our second baseman. So let, let him just throw everybody. You're doing good. Just keep that heater low. Then he looks at the catcher and he says, man, you're getting lazy back there behind there. You're supposed to be giving him a big target back there to, to, to throw to. You're just, laying, you're just sitting there, got, got your, your mitt folded up. He's telling him. All the players are hearing him instructing this guy. He's telling the, I can imagine if, if it was when I was back, when I was, actually I didn't play when I was that young, but I was watching kids that were even littler than the Little League World Series telling the second baseman, you cannot be building sandcastles out here on second base. You've got to pay attention. You know, I believe that's kind of what he's doing here. He's telling each individual church, you know, what is going on and everybody else is listening. What is it that the Spirit is saying to the churches, plural? What is it that the Spirit, as he is talking to Sardis, is even saying to the others? Be careful, you might end up like this. Be careful, you might, as he's talking to this guy, hey, you can't be building sandcastles. That's for everybody. Hey, the catcher, when you're up there giving a talk, be alert. Give a, telling the third baseman. You know, I, I remember one last year I was watching it, and there was, they were, it was a regional, and they were out in California, and there was a pool in, out in the outfield, out on the other side of the fence on the outfield. And the cameraman every now and then would catch his center fielder looking off into the pool. He was like watching the game with you. And finally, there was a timeout. He called everybody in. He called the outfielders in even, and he looked at the guy, and he said, you need to pay attention or I'm going to set you down. I don't care what, and the, and the kid said this, but my girlfriend, I don't care who is out there. You pay attention to the game, or I will set you down, and you can look at her from there all day long. What is it that the Spirit is saying to the churches? What is it that, whether it's in Sardis or Thyatira or Pergamum or Smyrna or Ephesus or in the Philadelphia and Laodicea to come, what is it that the Spirit is saying to Redeemer? And that I don't, I know as I have gone through this, I have learned some things, I have, you know, realized some things that I can, you know, possibly be better at when it comes to whether it's leading or, or um, be just, just being intentional with individuals. What is it? What is it that you feel like? And listen, those of us who are in Christ, those of us, that we're going to get a white stone with our name on it. We're going to be invited to a celebration. Those who overcome, we're going, to, we're, we're going to have our name announced. Those who overcome, we're going to be wearing white. Those who overcome, just go back and look at what he said to Ephesus. 
the church in Ephesus and the church in Pergamum and the church in Thyatira. Overcome is just another word for be victorious or be conquerors. Overcome, conquer, be victorious in our walk. And remember, this whole thing, this, all of these, all of these letters, the primary focus that we have here is how are we focusing in on Christ? This church, he says, is about to die. If they don't change anything, they're, going, they're, just, they're, they're dead anyway. He just, if you don't change anything, you're going to die. Um, in the United States, there are 67, actually today, in the United States, there are 67 churches who are not meeting today that were meeting last week. Every Sunday, 67 churches in America close their doors for good. Churches are dying. I have visited some churches that are right on the verge of dying. I have visited and worked, tried to work with leadership of a church that eventually closed their doors. And the biggest thing is they are not paying attention. They are not being watchful. They continue their eyes. For the most part, their eyes are looking back in their history. In the days past, when programs were big and all, that, all of those things, they had people there that were being... That, there are churches right near us that are on the verge of dying. Friends, we need to be praying for them, but we also need to be watchful that we don't become them. And I'm not saying today or next week or next month, in the years to come, because it sneaks up on you. There's a lot of these churches that it just snuck up on them, that it just, it just took one thing after another after another. It's, ah, we'll get over this. Ah, we'll get past this. Oh, we'll do better than this. And before long, they're down to... I, I, I'm not gonna say, I visited a building this week where a church closed their doors. I spent three hours in a building this week with a church who closed their doors up in, uh, northwest of here. And it was sad as you look read back on their history, where they came from, as you read through the 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000 and past 2010, and you saw where small community, they averaged probably 45, 50 in worship services on Sunday. In that community, that's pretty good. But in the last five or six years, they had four people. And they just got tired and said, we can't do it anymore. Churches are dying. We might not think that we're going to become one of them, but here's my challenge to you. Let's become one who helps those churches that are dying. Let us become a church that helps those church churches. And I'm not saying we have to go there and be church for them, but we can pray for them. We can encourage them. We can help train them. We can, there's a lot we can do with them. Let's not let God's church just die. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this message and we see your, your words to the church in Sardis, they thought they had it all together. They thought they were wealthy with their gold. They thought they were established with their high walls and the cliffs that protected them. They thought they could take care of themselves. 
But whether it was politically or spiritually, Father, time after time you were trying to get their attention and they refused to listen. We know today there is no church in Sardis. But Father, here in our own nation, we see churches closing over 3,500 every year, 67 every week, just closing their doors, shutting down. And in no way does that bring glory to you, Father. Help us as a church not only to be attentive, to be watchful, to be awake, to be alert, to see what is going on, to pursue you and you only. But then also turn around and help dying churches come back to life so that your name would be glorified in communities where there might not be a church. You have loved us more than we deserve, Father. Help us, dear God, to walk in a way that is worthy of your great love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.